Welcome to the Reggie McNeil Podcast, where we explore what it means to seek God's kingdom here on earth. Join us on our journey to become more aware of and encouraged by God's work in and around us. Here's your host, Scott Gress. Hi, and welcome to the Coaching Leader Podcast. Today, we're pleased to welcome a pastor, a church planter, a denominational executive, a leadership coach. We like that. Uh, author of what ten books, numerous articles, and speaking engagements, and blogs, and podcasts, and the senior fellow for the Leadership Network. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Reggie McNeil. Hey, thanks, Scott. It's good to be here. And that's that's senile fellow, uh, <laughs> I, I think, with uh, Leadership Network. But uh, don't tell them. I mean, right. they just they just they they just printed the wrong word there. Gotcha. So. Uh, did I catch everything in the bio? Or there's there's probably a million other things. Oh that, no, that I no, you 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 got. Uh, I sent you that fake bio, and um, you you pulled out the most important uh, fake news pieces. So <laughs> good for you. Well, I first uh, got familiar with you when somebody handed me a, a revolution in leadership way you know a number of years yeah, ago. The, another life, yeah, yeah, and. And found out that you were working with the Missouri Synod on something called DLM, Developing Leaders for Ministry, and got familiar with your work. Uh, what do you remember from back then? I remember uh, that that was a fun group to be with. Um, you, you guys were kind of um, rogue is not the right word, but you, you were willing to uh, lend an ear to someone outside your tribe um, and, um, and think around the edges of some stuff. Um, so I, I found that that group of pastors was probably more entrepreneurial, um, certainly, certainly much more missionally inclined uh, and more in touch with um, the culture. Uh, as opposed to just being bubbled off, uh, you were asking really good questions about how how do we connect with this culture, this new world that um, has developed in our very own lifetimes. Yeah, even back then, uh, you were <clears throat> very um, strong and clear about uh, where's God at work. It's not just in the building. It's not yeah. just on your property. And uh, the idea of joining him and figuring that out and meeting people where God's spirit was at work and uh, uh, really uh, was encouraging, uh, but also challenging at the same time. Well, thanks. I, you know, the conversation, um, all I've ever wanted to do, and really my prayer has been, um, I just hoped I could help shape the conversation. Um, in church leaders and, and in different tribes in different ways that that's happened. But I, I, gosh, Scott, way back then when you and I were together and that, you know, I would speak at a conference and I'd get hate email by the time I got uh, to the airport, you know, um, about, uh, you know, what I, you know, cause we were having to do some, a fair amount of deconstruction uh, just to clear the way for uh, some realignment. Um, and, um, with God's mission. And, and that, that was unsettling to a bunch of folks, but I'm grateful because I've lived long enough now to see some of this conversation come around. And, and I, 
maybe it's because people know what they're getting when I go now, but um, I'm it's not exactly surprised what I'm going to talk about. But um, but I also think there's been a among folks that really are uh, initially attenuated. Um, I think there's a, 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 a much greater and grow, and still growing awareness uh, that that we've got to do uh, that business as usual. Uh, churchianity is is not getting it done, and it's not going to get it done. Yeah, and the things that you've been writing about and speaking about and talking about uh, is such a challenge because it it gets to our basic assumptions uh, of how we do what we do, and and it just gets in the way of our default mode of just operating as church leaders. Um, one of your recent books here, Kingdom Come. Oh, uh, I haven't read that one uh, yet. Um, <laughs> it's good. I on my nightstand. I'm, I'm going to get to it this year, I think. Uh, but talks about that shift from, you know, church-centric to, uh, to kingdom-centric. What is that all about? Could you just kind of give us a thumbnail sketch there or more? Sure. Well, and, and you know, words help uh, and, and or get in the way. And so I've looked a long time for ways of saying this so that people can grab hold of what I'm trying to talk about um, fairly quickly. And it's and, and I, I've landed on church centric, kingdom centric as kind of a, you know, a vis a vis uh, position to describe one of church as institution and the commitment we have there and the fact that we've inherited church as institution as the a primary expression of church in the Western culture now, uh, North America for sure, but really everywhere the Western footprint went down, uh, we have a congregational modality and, and you know, no matter what kind of denominational structure or whatever else, it's, and particularly since the Reformation, we've been trying to fix the church and get it right, and with the assumption then that the whole world will pay attention. And, uh, and of course, you Lutherans have been working on the Reformation for 500 years now, and so um, <laughs> I'm assuming you're getting close to uh, wrapping this sucker up, but uh, yeah, right, you know, maybe. Uh, so I'm just waiting, you know, and then you let me know when it, when y'all put the final uh, deal. But, you know, the truth of the matter is in, in this new world, um, it's not a church-centric approach, church's institution that's going to make the difference. We all, we've got to move to a church as movement uh, perspective, but I really want to use a biblical word for that, and that word is kingdom, because the kingdom of God is a movement. Um, it also is God's major mission. I mean, I grew up thinking that the church, in a church-centric thinking, you know, that, that God taught us to, you know, Jesus taught, would teach us to pray, thy church come, you know, and um, and that his biggest concern, his visit to the planet was to establish the church, and that that's on God's mind every day. When the truth, of the, and I'm sure it is, but the truth of the matter is God's kingdom is the biggest story, and the church is a part of that story, but we don't, uh, we, we don't, um, it's bigger than us. And we're not the point. The kingdom is the point. And God cre and Jesus created a church to get people to the kingdom. 
uh, you know, not the other way around. I mean, the, the kingdom is not a subset of church activity. The church is a subset of kingdom activity. Yeah. And and God's uh, major mission on planet Earth has been and will be his kingdom. And that that's, uh, survives into eternity because, you know, as long as you have God, you have a kingdom because those go together. Um, but the church is folded into that. I mean, we have a definite beginning and a definite end. We're not the fourth member of the Trinity, and we're not uh, eternal. That We have a role to play in space and time. And when we don't get that role right, if we think we're the point, then we become problematic. So when you say kingdom of God, what do you, what do you mean by that? How would you define yes, that? Yes, th- thank you. Uh, certainly, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, and there are people who talk about the kingdom of God and in ways that use earthly kingdoms, you know, and then try to retrofit. You know, Jesus was pretty plain. The, my, my kingdom's not of this world, and and I think I think starting with human kingdoms and working our way to, is the wrong path to get to the truth of it. Um, I just try to really look at what I characterize the kingdom. I should say. Because I can't define it. You can't. You define something. You re, in, in the kingdom is so. I mean, how many different parables did Jesus <laughs> use to try to help us understand the kingdom? If we were simple, you know. But but I think the point of the kingdom is life, and uh, but with the important caveat, life is God intends. I mean, this is why Jesus said, "I've come to give you life," um, and the the the, the Bible starts. Uh, in a garden with a tree of life in the middle. That's not accidental. And God sends angels to guard that when Eden disintegrates. We end the book, you know, in the city of God with uh, a river of life and trees of life. And and Jesus comes and, and he, he uh, you know, I mean, life is God's precious gift that he doesn't rescind. I mean, I remember my youngest granddaughter, when they handed her to me in the hospital, I uh, my, my immediate thought was, I'm holding a creature who will never cease to exist. Mm. I mean, uh, this is a, that's the power of life and uh, and how important it is. I mean, I think it was C.S. Lewis, right, that said, well, you've never dealt with a mere mortal. <laughs> I mean, human beings are created <laughs> in the image of God, which uh, by, by definition or by, by grace or however you say it, includes that that eternal spark of life that's in us. And so God had a dream for every human being, has a dream for every human being, the life that he intends for them to have. And Jesus, that's why he says, I've come to give you that. In case we miss it, he backed up and said, and it's abundant, and it's an abundant life. And then he makes the most astonishing claim when he says, I am the life. So, you know, Jesus came to live the kingdom life in front of us to show us exactly the kind of life God had in mind for us. I mean, it's it's not just, he didn't just come, you know, to do the work on the cross and all that kinds. Of, I mean, his his entire life, his teaching, but how he dealt with people, you know, his uh, the way he expressed himself. I mean, all of that was to live in front of us. Uh, uh, the kingdom life, and uh, and and you and I. I mean, you know. I mean, so Jesus sits down and he feeds five thousand people from a lunchbox. We're supposed to be abundant thinkers, not 
what do we not what do we not have here but what do we have here to work with we're supposed to be healers we're supposed to be people of peace we're supposed to be above everything people of hope um you know so peter tells us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us kingdom is hope uh, because it says, you know, in fact, I asked people, and I, I, I'll quit and let you get back in this conversation. I don't know <laughs> why you think you should be running this thing. Um, you know, but I, 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 I ask people a lot of times, you know, what are your hopes? You know, what are your dreams? Because, and then I ask, where do you think that comes from? Uh, you know, um, and because I think our hopes and dreams for our life are echoes of the kingdom. We, we believe that things should be better than they are. Well, where does that idea come from? I mean, if we just crawled out of the primordial ooze, I don't think we would imagine something beyond us like that. So I think that's kind of God's homing device in us that says, I'm pulling you toward a preferred future, and, and that kingdom is what that is. Well, you're, you're causing so many things to pop in my brain. Uh, Recently, I was preaching at a church as a guest preacher, and and I noticed there was all kinds of law offices and bail bondsmen, you know, places uh, up and down the street next to the church. And I happened to yeah. think to myself and say out loud, you know, those people go in and out of those places are not having a good day. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but you have the good news. <laughs> yes. And, you know, what's interesting to me, Scott, is I grew up in a tradition, as you well know, evangelical tradition, that was so concerned about getting people to heaven, uh, you know, that if we could just get them to pray the prayer or whatever, they're good to go. Yeah. And and it seems to me the more I, you know, and, and I'm a latecomer to this. I have to tell you, my conversion to kingdom thinking and the, it, I finally got into the kingdom was Jesus' obsession. Mm. I mean, he, and I, I mean that in a positive way. He talked about, uh, he, by the way, he mentioned church once, and it's when he created it. But he talked about the kingdom all, every day. I mean, there are over 90 references in the in the Gospels where the, uh, he talks about the kingdom of heaven, uh, kingdom of God, or just kingdom. And, and it seems to me, uh, I've become convinced that Jesus was far more concerned with getting heaven to earth than getting us earthlings to heaven. Uh, and, and that's why he, you know, taught us to pray. And that's why you're picking up on, you know, people are having a tough time right now. I mean, what are we thinking about doing? I mean, we should be improving their lives right now. So what was the, or was there a moment where you kind of, you know, went, ah, this, you, this clarity kind of hit you that, that we need to be living Christ and loving and blessing people out there rather than trying to attract and market whatever is happening in here? You know, I, I don't know that there was a moment. Um, it has been more of a journey, okay. if that would encourage your listeners. Um, but I would say the closest thing to the moment mm -hmm. was what started well, I remember as a pastor for 11 years, I you know, was a church planter and started a church and was there, and then I left to go to a denominational uh, post. And um, I remember I had just spoken to a group of pastors driven across the state. I'd got home about 1130 at night, pulled into this, and we were living in an apartment at the time, a very different 
environment, a multi-ethnic, multi, um, you know, it's just a very different environment from the single home community that I, you know, had left as a pastor. And, um, and so I, I pull in and I, you know, I'm, turn off the car engine it's it's it's, it's and, and I suddenly it just hits me yeah you know, that I worked 10 years uh 11 years you know building the perfect church you know and nobody in this apartment complex would walk across the street to attend it mm. and that was it's almost as if the spirit just punctured at that moment and it was a very disconcerting thought because uh, I just thought, have I just thrown my life away? Those 11 years? Well, I've come to put it in perspective now. Certainly not. But that was that started for me a journey that that led me to to figure out, well, how how does what we do here? How could that connect with folks here in this apartment complex, you know, that are not church people? In fact, we're not going to turn them into church people uh, in order for them to hear the gospel. I mean, yeah. that was my my tribe's basic thing is if you just get people to come to church, we'll take care of it from there. I mean, that's that's crazy. I mean, uh, that's crazy. Uh, thinking. As I'm listening to you, I I, rem- I remembered a, a, a quote that's very sad, but but I think uh, important from a Lutheran pastor back in 1951, he wrote this book and he quoted another pastor and he says this, we have done again what the Reformation sought to undo. Wow. We've professionalized religion. We have turned witness bearing into a class prerogative and pay some man a salary to do it for us while we come to church and listen. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Man. And I mean, what a prescient. Uh, cut right to it. I mean, you know, other folks, <laughs> I mean, we <clears throat> church as institution has become a vendor of religious goods and services, just yeah. like you're, you know, we come there and we sit to get our worship pez, our sermon pez, our youth ministry pez, and we've just turned people into um, religious consumers um, and uh, not exactly viral kingdom agents. So how do we make that shift? Because it's not just kind of tinkering around at the edges and getting a band or, you know, trying to get a youth pastor who's going to kind of fix everything. I mean, it's not about magic bullets. Uh, It goes deeper and it's a shift. What, what, what are some keys there? Help us. Well, I think some, yeah, I think there are three, uh, when I work with my clients, um, uh, we look at at the following three things. So it's, it's nothing less than a church. We we have to shift the whole culture of the church. I mean, it can't just be the fall program, or like you say, some tweak of of you know music offering. I mean, how, how absurd! But we have to we have to look at the story that we are telling which is the narrative that we're living out. And are we, are we selling people a great church? Uh, you know, um, well, that to me is like getting, you know, I mean, God, that, that's only getting them halfway uh, or not even that far. I mean, people having a relationship with the church is not the point. You know, having a relationship with Jesus is the point. And, but I'm afraid that we've given far too many people 
uh, the idea, you know, they can they can think about their relationship to the church because it's like a club membership. But you know, when you start talking about relationship with Jesus, and they kind of look, you know, I look at you a little uh, squinty eyed. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure what you're talking about. Uh, and so our story. So what story are we telling? Is it a kingdom story? Is it a church centric story? The second thing, and I alliterate this for my clients so they can remember. And plus, I'm you know was taught to preach this way. Uh, we have to look at the scorecard. I mean, the scorecard that we we have now, of course, is very church centric, and it reinforces exactly. I mean, we're getting exactly what we're built to do here. So we measure, uh, you know, how many folks and how much money do they bring, how how often do they show up, and so it's it's church programming stats developed by church people for church people consumption on church property. Uh, I mean, you know, on and on and on. I mean, how how silly is this when we're given the Great Commission, which is to, you know, impact the whole world, and we're still, uh, we still think that the kingdom of God can be shrink-wrapped down to what happens on our place on Sunday. I mean, gosh, Sunday's God's day off. I don't know why we think that's the, you know, uh, maybe maybe he can take the day off because we have it covered. But um, so the story uh, and the and the scorecard and then the stewardship. Those three things. So what, you know, what do we think we're responsible for? If we think it's only this group of believers, followers, folks who say we belong to this church, this congregation, uh, that's a pretty, uh, that's that's not the uh, ecclesia that Jesus referred to when he established the church, uh, because the ecclesia in his day had responsibility for the community. It's a group of elders who and so, I mean, that would be silly for the ecclesia of a community to say, you know, our, our our community's going to hell in a handbasket, but we're having great meetings with ecclesia. I mean, you should have heard. I mean, the music's fat. I, I, you, it's just so crazy. So those three things are essential, and you don't get a pass on any. you got to do all three. Now, there is a fourth element, but I always introduce it last and much later because, it, and that is the structure. Okay. The people, the reason I don't bring it up at first, though, is, you know, people want to go to work on the structure right away. And and this is an absurd, it's a way to get killed as a leader. I mean, you're messing with, the, you know, you have to, you have to mess with the why. You have to figure out what the mission is first. And then the structure reflects that. You go to work on the structure without thinking through these other things, you're going to get nowhere. <coughs> Yeah. So those are critical shifts that we have to make. One thing that I run into uh, amongst my tribe or churches and pastors who are just a little bit flummoxed, maybe a little bit uh, discouraged because they say, well, you know, we send a mission team to Guatemala. We, we support the food pantry. We might do, you know, one or two other little things in the community. And I don't know if we can do anything more missional, but it hasn't changed anything. Yeah. Um, what's going on there with that thinking and, and, and uh, kind of help us out there. Well, uh, you know, it, it's that thinking reflects uh, church programming modality again, you know, that it's our job to program people's missional existence on the planet, you know? So we tell them just come here and do these things we figured out for you, and you'll you can check your box off, and you go from bachelor your rat killing and and claim to be mission. I mean, that's that, again, it's an extension of thinking that is so church centric. Uh, 
mm. as opposed to a scorecard that says, you know, our job is not to create programs. Our, our job is uh, and to develop programs. I mean, mo- most people said yes to ministry thinking they were going to impact people. So, uh, and then you wind up realizing you're in the sermon production business and you're in the church program uh, design and implementation business. And dealing with people is kind of like dealing with moon rocks. You can't quite get to it. You're always dealing with some intermediary something, hoping that it's somehow impacting people. Well, we've got to throw off all this intermediate stuff and realize that people are built to last. And our job is to develop people, period. And so, and that's what Jesus did. I mean, he developed people. He developed disciples. In fact, I don't even use the word discipleship anymore because people confuse that. And then they start thinking about curriculum and yeah. all this stuff that we do at church. No, this it's, what is it? How do you develop people? That should be the pre- preeminent question that every church leader noodles. Yeah. Uh, wow especially for uh, Lutherans who should understand this idea of the priesthood of all believers. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> I mean, would you folks just turn loose of that so somebody can go do something with it? I mean, you know, y'all own that. Uh, no, but you're, you're exactly right. You know, I mean, it is like the great untried doctrine of the Reformation, you know. I mean, it's, it, but it's central. Uh, Exodus 19, 1 Peter 2, uh, five and nine, uh, you know, Revelation four. I mean, it, it's a central theme of, and it would, and it does make sense if you realize that the kingdom is about life and about people growing into their own skin, into the dream that God has for who they are. I mean, it's, 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 it's a compelling story that if we would tell it, people would find completely uh, interesting as opposed to the story we're telling of come join us in religious activity. You know, it's going to make a difference. Are you kidding? No wonder, no wonder we can't intersect people's lives, you know? I mean. And it's no uh, wonder that, that pastors get discouraged. Yes. And beat up and, and burn out. Uh, but if you see people's lives being transformed and you see, members touching other people's lives and they get jazzed about it. And then then you see other people. You're exactly right. I can't wait to get to work the next day. That's it. And to tell those stories and to hear those stories is a primary uh, engine for gathering times, uh, you know, to encourage us all. And so maybe we've had a rough time, but you hear that, that, you know, Mary's had this wonderful, and I mean, just does something for you and it doesn't get old. I mean, this is why, Storytelling is, is you know, every commercial is a story, you know, 15 seconds, uh, you know, or, or whatever. I mean, it, people are drawn to that. And um, but when they come to a, 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 a church experience that is void, devoid of, of that kind of transition, uh, transformational juice, and there's no compelling story to it, you know, to shuffle forward to receive elements or. Whatever I mean, no, we uh, no goodness gracious. I mean, religion. This is why God hates religion. Um, I mean, because it's it, it gives people a, a, a substitute for what for the vitality that He wants them to actually experience. Yeah, which is life. Yeah, yeah. And and the other thing us pastors have got to realize is, 
you know, with the fourth human information revolution, the digital revolution, uh, increasingly we're uh, people in our culture, you know, millennials and Gen Zs or iGens, whatever you call them, and everyone younger than that can't remember a time where you had to go to a bank to bank or a, a movie theater to see a movie or, uh, you know, a pizza place to get a pizza, you know, or a library to get a book or a bookstore. I mean, look how, or a retail mall to, you know, get some, I mean, look how antiquated, and yet we still think they need to come to church to get God. And we can't figure out why they see that as, you know, and it has to be, a you know, it's on Sunday and it's at, you know, a certain times. Uh, I mean, how antiquated, not even antiquated, that's beyond, it's, it doesn't even make sense to them. Yeah. But is if, but if we think church programming is our scorecard, then we, then, then we're all the time trying to figure out how to get people involved on our schedule and our stuff. But if we believe that developing people is our deal, we can celebrate that all week long yeah. because that's exactly how it works. 